Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are kicking off a brand new series entitled Playbook. Over the course of the next few weeks, we are going to be looking together at our strategy as a church for moving people closer to Christ. The aim of the series is to not only get us on the same page as a church, but get us on the same play as we're executing our mission and vision to serve those around us. To begin, our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, will be preaching out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. I hope you like my highlight reel that we just showed. One of you guys all see where I came from before I went into ministry. So um, that, was, uh, that was me up there throwing the pass and catching it. So um, in fact, uh, no, hi, I'm Jared. I'm the senior pastor. Glad that you're here. In fact, this play that's behind me, okay, the one you see on the black here, okay, that is the play that you just saw on video. Okay, so I'm going to get our tech team to, to play it again. So you look at this play right here, okay, the X's and O's, we recognize that from a football play, and this is the play that's being executed on video. So go ahead and play that again. So there I am, I drop back, and uh, that, yep, I, yep, that's me, I'm dropping back for the pass, I'm going to do a slant route, and I catch it again. That's it. So that is the play. Listen, when executed correctly, right, there's a celebration, right? I know you're a Steeler fan, you got you to celebrate that, right? That's what we're here to talk about. Steelers plays. No, we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about playbook, our strategy as a church. When executed correctly, there's a lot of celebration. So with that, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we can be in your house here today. Thank you for Urban Impact and how they blessed us with their gift of music and song. Lord, what a great and powerful song that was of how we really should have been there on the cross. But we thank you that you did pay it all. Help us to be mindful of that as we come into our time of communion. Lord, we thank you for what you teach us in your word, too, that you give us a strategy in place to how to live out this life, especially as a church, as a body of believers. This isn't our idea, it's yours. So, Lord, I pray that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Lord, and you impact us this morning, and that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a series, you know, for the last, uh, throughout the summer on First Peter. Now we turn our attention to our strategy as a church. It's important that we talk about this, especially as we move into um, the fall. A lot of ministries are, are coming up, a lot of things taking place, and so we want you to be aware of all those things. But and listen, every church has a strategy. I don't know if you've ever been on a team, but every team has a strategy, right? It's fitting because we got football starting up here, uh, training camp. we got a lot of other uh, students. I know many people are going back for uh, camps and uh, sporting events, things going on, all kinds of different sports going on. So it's fitting over the next four weeks that we talk about this. But I don't know if you've ever been on a team that doesn't have a strategy. I have, and it's pretty bad. Um, I've shared with you before um, that I, I played soccer um, growing up in high school, but I, some of you don't know, I also played volleyball, very short-lived season of volleyball. I went to a very small school. Uh, I only graduated with 30. Uh, I tell people I, gra- I was third in my class, which if you put the numbers together actually isn't the best. But nonetheless, graduated with 30. We had a small class, small school. So one year when we were juniors, when I was a junior, my, um, the athletic director said, let's start a volleyball team. Right, so 
So we gathered like 15 guys. There's juniors and seniors there. There's 15 of us. We said, yeah, we'll go play volleyball. Right? So volleyball, you know, you're, we were smacking the ball across the net. And we, we had practices, but we had no, we kind of knew how to play the game, but we had no game plan. Right? Uh, so for a couple weeks we were doing these practices, we didn't even have any games lined up because nobody was going to play us. Right? Because we were, here we were a bunch of, a bunch of myth, misfits trying to play this game of volleyball. Right? So finally our athletic director came in and said, hey, guys, I got a game for us. It's not exactly what I was thinking, but we got a game. He said, we're going to play the local JV girls team, okay, at this local public school. Uh, we were okay with that. We're like, okay, we'll go into this thing. Um, that was the only team that agreed to play us. So um, <laughs> day of the game is bad, right? Uh, it's probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. But, you know, we, I, I was, was hit real quick that we had no idea what we were doing. Because I went in, <laughs> we all had like, um, like just rugged, you know, raggy old gym shirts, right? And like shoes, just sneakers and shorts. I, we go out there and these girls are uh, literally, they're, they're, they're really good. Um, they're half our size, right? Because they're, they're younger. They're, they're fantastic. And they're up there spiking the ball real hard. And all of us are looking going, this is going to be bad. This is going to be real bad, right? We had no mindset going in. We had no idea how to play, uh, how to go about a strategy. We, we knew how to play, but we had no strategy. Moving around and passing it back and forth. And the first game, the first set, we did not score a point, okay? Second set, same deal, okay? Third set was not any better, right? We just got annihilated on this, on this court. And I was watching this high school bunch of guys coming in, and it was so discouraging. I, I'm not even kidding. As soon as the game was over, all of us quit the team. We disbanded, we closed up shop, and we never played again. We never, in fact, we, it was one of those things that was like, let's not ever talk about this again, right? We didn't have the right mindset going in. But because we didn't have the right mindset, we closed down, we disbanded, we closed up shop. Unfortunately, churches may have a strategy, but you don't have the right mindset, then they get discouraged as well. A lot of churches are closing their doors. They're closing up shop, never to play again. And it's not because they don't have a strategy, it's because they don't have the right mindset going in. See, if we're going to go through a strategy here of our church and what we're all about, you need to have the right mindset going in. You need to have the right mindset. You know, our church is, and every church has a strategy put in place, a command by God. And it comes from Matthew chapter 28. It says this, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. You've seen that verse, Matthew 28, 19. Goes on to say, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. This church is not set up because we, somebody thought it was a good idea for us to come together as a social club, right? Or someone coming together to, uh, to have a bunch of potlucks, right? I have never seen a church that has as a mission strategy to be a social club where we can gather for picnics and potlucks and meals, gossip centers, daycares, youth centers, discussion groups, book clubs, or exercise arenas. No church is set up that way, right? The thing is, every church has a strategy. The problem is a lot of churches don't have the right mindset going in. Our strategy is very simple. We want to what? We want to engage people in worship. We want to grow in spiritual maturity. We want to serve using our gifts, and we want to share the gospel. When we talk about engaging our church, that's why we talk about membership. We want you to be part of our church family. We want you to come in and be part of our church family, to celebrate with us, to celebrate communion, to use your gifts serving. That's what engaging our church is really all about. It's really about membership. You know, the early church in Acts was really good at this. Remember the early church in Acts just got started, right? 
And in Acts 2.42, before it comes up on the screen, they talked about all these, all these believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowships. They broke bread together. They prayed together. Everyone was filled with awe. All the wonders and signs were happening. All the believers had everything in common. They were sharing everything. They sold property, gave it to anybody in need. And then in verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, it says this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke to get bread together in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And God and the Lord added to their number daily. Wasn't that great? Wouldn't that be great to be part of a, a church? That's the sign of a healthy church. What was it? It was a scriptural church. It was a community church. It was a devoted church. It was a sharing church. It was a joyful church, too. They were celebrating that people were coming in from all walks of life, becoming part of their community, part of their fold. They looked different. They smelled different. They acted different. But, boy, they're excited about people coming in. That's what we need to do as we go into our church strategy. We need to be open and wanting for people to come in to our church and be part of that and celebrate that. That's why we talk about membership. Now, when you say membership, I know it scares a lot of people, right? Membership, that word membership scares a lot of people. Can you be a Christian without joining the church? Yes, you can be a Christian without joining the church, but it's kind of like being a football player without a team, right? We are a team. But a lot of people don't want to become members for some reason or another. It scares people. In fact, I heard a joke about three pastors who got together for coffee, and they all found out their churches had a common problem. They had a bat infestation. I got so mad, said one pastor, I took a shotgun and fired at them. It made holes in the ceiling, but nothing did nothing to the bats. The second pastor said, I tried trapping them alive. Then I drove 50 miles before releasing them, but they all beat me back to the church. The third pastor said, I haven't had any problems. What did you do, the other said. The pastor said, I simply asked them to become members and serve in our church. He said, I haven't seen them since. Right? It scares people away. Right? Membership scares people away. Why? There's two reasons why membership would scare people away. Two reasons. One, it's self-inflicted. Some people feel so guilty about being in a church, they feel like they shouldn't be part of the church. Okay? That's what we're going to deal with, one, here this morning. The second aspect we're also going to deal with this morning is people come in, and the people in the church already don't want them there. It's not an outwardly like um, objection to them being there, but they're cold to them. They don't, they don't want to greet them. They don't want to go up to them. They don't want to engage new people. They don't like it when new people are coming in. Why? Because they smell different. They look different. We want to have a club where everybody's like us. You can't have a church strategy without having the right mindset. And that's where we come to here today. Some people might ask, why would you use Luke 15 as your strategy? Because you've got to have the right mindset going in. 100%. You've got to have the right mindset. The mindset of the fact that we celebrate when people are coming in, the fact that we want to be outreach-oriented. That's what we look at today. Next week, we turn our attention to growing spiritually. Next week, we're going to talk about all the different aspects you can do to grow spiritually in your walk about engaging in, in small groups and Christian education. We're going to tell you all the things that are happening coming up in September. It's not a, uh, a suggestion to grow. It's a command to grow. Amen. Then we're, the following week, we're going to have a, a ministry fair where we have all the ministries out in the comments where you can go up and sign up and get involved in one of, your, uh, one of those gifts using the gifts God's given you, one of those ministries. And then we, on the last week, we talk about sharing the gospel. We talk about our mission globally, our mission Sunday. But we've got to have the right mindset, and that's what Luke 15 says. We've got to have the right mindset. Jesus talks in parables, doesn't he? Parables are those stories that are basic stories using everyday objects and relationships to give a spiritual point. And that's where we come to. If you have your Bibles, Luke 15, as Pastor Barry already read it to us, Jesus is talking to 
tax collectors. He's hanging out with them and sinners. And he, he, he goes to the Pharisees and he tells these parables. And you got to know, first off, there's, there's, there's three parables there. We read two of them. But the two parables we read were the most offensive people that you can think of the Pharisees were going to interact with. So Jesus goes right to the heart. He first talks about a shepherd, and then he talks about a woman looking for a coin. Both of which are people that the Pharisees would look down upon. It would be offensive to ever think of them as shepherds or a woman looking for a coin. So right off the bat, you have Jesus kind of going right to the heart of things. So you have your Bibles, Luke 15, chapter 4, the parable of the lost sheep. It says, one of you had a hundred sheep and loses them. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. <laughs> so now he's telling Pharisees, suppose you're a shepherd, right? Doesn't he leave the nine behind the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. He says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 persons who do not repent. What a powerful story. It's talking about repentance, the fact that we all need a Savior. It's very clear in the Bible that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. So Jesus is talking here. He said, listen, oh, there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents who comes back in, right? There's the shepherd, this view of the shepherd going after that lost sheep that stops at nothing to go find them. What's the point of the story? The point is this, that God loves people who have wandered away. The point is that God loves people who have wandered away. He loves them. In fact, he stops at nothing to find them. If you look at that passage, you'll notice there that after he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Why would he go home? Why doesn't he go back to the field? The idea here is that it's already late, that it's, it might be at nighttime, that he goes home afterwards and he celebrates. He stops at nothing. Some of you are 50, 60, 70 years old and you say, you know what, I'm too far, I'm too old or too far gone for God to really uh, come after me, for me to come back in. And what this passage is saying is God will find you no matter what age or place in life you are. He wants you to come back. He's searching for you. God loves people who have wandered away. Some of you feel like you've wandered away. You've wandered away. You think, I shouldn't be here right now. I don't even know if I should be in this church right now. But the idea here is that he brings them back, and the 99 come together, and what do they do? They celebrate together. They worship together as a body, as a family, as a flock. We want you to celebrate the fact that you come in and celebrate and worship with us. That's what we talk about engaging. But God loves people who have wandered away, and their celebration, we as a church need to celebrate. Then we have the parable of the lost coin. Verse 8. The parable of the lost coin says this. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We all know what it's like if you have kids looking looking for coins. I know my kids when they were little used to look for in the couch cushions for coins. Now that they're older and they cost more money, I'm in the couch looking for coins, right? We look for coins, don't we? We are looking for money. It's the idea that we're searching for coins. You see this woman here, she's lost her coin and what does she do? She's searching for it. One thing about this passage, one thing about this parable you got to remember is that nobody intends to lose money, right? Nobody intends to lose money. Nobody intends to lose it. It's not intentional. But what's the point of the story then? The point is, is that God loves people who have fallen through the cracks. 
Some of you are disconnected with God, and it's not intentional. Life has come up, and marriages have fallen apart. Relationships have fallen apart. Jobs have fallen apart. Schools that you're into are so anti-Christ that it's, that it's just gripping you around your throat, and you've pulled away from God. It's not intentional. You see, the sheep wandered. This, the coin, fell through the cracks. It's not intentional. It just happens. And you go, man, 20, 30 years ago, life just happens, right? And you've fallen through the cracks. Some of you are there, too. It's not intentional. You didn't intentionally wander away. It wasn't like you were going off on your own. It just life happens. You haven't been in a church in a long time. You haven't prayed to God since you remember when you were a kid. You've fallen through the cracks. Some of you are like that. What's wonderful is that God loves people who fall through the cracks. This God who created the universe, the heavens and the earth, all the stars and all the trees, all the plants, he comes looking for that coin, that one small coin. Why? Because it's important to him, because he loves people that have fallen through the cracks of life. Is that you this morning? feel like you've fallen through the cracks? One sheep out of a hundred, one coin out of ten. He's got a universe to run, but he stops everything to go find them. That might be you this morning. You've fallen through the cracks. Then we have the parable of the lost son. This isn't in your service sheets, but uh, Luke 15 goes on to talk about the parable of the lost son. Three parables. A shepherd, a coin, a woman, and a coin. And then the parable of the lost son. You know the story. If you don't, very simple story. There's two brothers and a father. Father is very wealthy, right? So the one brother goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. I know you have a lot of money, so I want my inheritance now. That's why I don't tell my kids how much money I have because I don't want them to turn on me, right? But this son goes and says, listen, I I want my inheritance now. It's pretty offensive to say, listen, I don't even want to wait till you're dead. Just give it to me now. Just give it to me. I want you to hear this. The father gives him the money, right? And even though the father knows he's going to go out and squander it, okay? We're going to come back to that in a moment. But understand the father gives it to him. Most fathers, if, you're, if my son came up to me now and said, I want my inheritance, not going to happen, right? You would say the same thing. You wouldn't say, all right, here it is. The father gave it to him, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. But the father gives it to the son. Son goes out. He squanders his wealth, as you can imagine, right? He goes out, lives the way he wants to live, real selfishly. He's doing all kinds of things. Then he ends up without any what? Money. And he comes back. He realizes he's eating now with pigs. And he realizes the pigs are even being more well-fed than he is. And so now he, he has this epiphany. He goes, all right, I'm going to come back home. And he doesn't even know what's going to happen when he comes back home. He just kind of gets up and says, I, I, I need to go back home. I need to come back home. It says in verse 20 of Luke 15, it goes on to say this. So he got up and went to his father. Again, he doesn't know what his father's going to do. But he got up and went to his father. While his father was still a long way, while he was still a long way off, his father Solomon was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on his, him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. There's celebration. There's celebration when people come home. What's the point of this story? Is that God loves people who have lived selfishly. Some of you intentionally have gone out 
and live selfishly. I talked to somebody to, uh, this past week who said, I, Jared, I was following, quote, the American dream, going after money, riches, fame, fortune, and I realized it's no good, and I feel empty and cold. God loves people who have selfishly rebelled. And he welcomes him home. The idea that he gave him the money, he knew it. That he knew he was going to go squander it. It's the same thing of God realizing that we have a choice to make. That's what free will is. God's going to let you live the way you want to live, but he always is going to welcome you home. We aren't robots in this, in this world that are, are going to automatically worship God and follow him. No, God's going to give us a choice. The question is whether or not you're going to follow him or not. That's the question. And for this guy, I just can imagine, he, he's desperate, he's alone. He said, the only thing I could do is go back to my father's home. I don't know if he knew it was going to happen. Some of you don't know what's going to happen when you say, you know what, I've lived selfishly, I've gone my own way. What would happen if I'd come back? I wonder if the boy ever thought that he was going to get punished. I would have. Like the, hey, I told you so. Make him feel bad? I don't know, but he still came back. There was a story I'd read back in the early 80s. A car got hijacked in California, which you think, oh, that probably happens all the time. It does. So the question is, why would that be important? They, 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 all the news reporters were talking about this car that got hijacked. The police put out all this uh, information on the radio in the 80s, okay, all across the state, looking for this car that got hijacked, right? So you think, why would it be so important that, that you would try to find this one car? Why would they stop at nothing? Well, you found out that the owner of the car... Um, had in the front seat had crackers laced with rat poison. And what he was going to do is he was going to attract rats, use this rat poison and kill them. And so they were so concerned for the safety of the guy who stole the car that they put out this, na- this, this statewide search trying to find the car. It wasn't because they were trying to punish the guy, it was they were trying to save his life. And that's exactly what God's saying here. It's not that he wants you to come back in to punish you and say, hey, listen, I told you so. You're going to live the way you want to live. You're not going to feel fulfillment. There's going to be no joy there. You're not going to find any peace, any hope. He's saying, no, I want to bring you back home so that I can rescue you and save you maybe you're like that guy selfishly rebelled he welcomes you home what a great celebration that is huh celebration in heaven when people that have squandered or lived rebelliously fallen through the cracks who've wandered away when they come home there's celebration we as a church we don't have the right mindset we got to be celebrating that too that's why what we do up here we try to do with excellence we want things to happen here on sunday mornings that people feel engaged we want to have outreach events where people are coming into our doors we want you to go up to the people that maybe don't feel like they should be here on sunday mornings and say hey glad you're here with us at christ church so glad you're with us tell me about your story that's the idea of the right mindset. Because you could have a strategy all day, but you have the wrong mindset, then you're just going to fold up and never play again. We've got to have the right mindset. We've got to be celebrating the fact that people are coming in. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. They may not know the Bible like us. But boy, we want to celebrate that. We want to be a church that says, you know what? It's okay that someone came in and sat in my seat. All right? I can't believe that that person is sitting in my chair. I can't believe they're eating all the food at the cafe. I can't believe that they come in and the church looks like a disaster because we have all this stuff after kids camp, all this, there is stuff all over the carpet. I can't believe that. No, no, we've got to be a church that says we want to bring those people in and we are delighted in celebrating the fact that they're here. Because there's a second person in the story of the prodigal son that a lot of churches get like. It's the story of the older brother. If you remember the story of the older brother, what happens is he comes home in verse 28 of Luke 15, the older brother says this, the older brother became angry refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
The older brother is, is frustrated with the dad saying, listen, you cannot bring him in here. We do not want him back. He has lived his own life. It's selfish. He doesn't act like us. He doesn't look like us. I don't want him part of this anymore. Things are good here. We have a nice farm. Things are going well. And now you want to celebrate him? Come on. Churches get to that point where they say, we got a great strategy, but we really don't want to engage in the culture around us. We don't want those people here. We, don't, we want to keep our traditions. We want to keep the same. We want to celebrate us. Understand that brother was just as bad as the one that went away. They both, they both had a heart of rebellion. One just had a heart that was saying, I'm going to be trying to be really good. The other one was trying to be really bad. Both want to put themselves in a position where they could tell the father what to do. And both of them were living very selfishly. My hope and prayer as our church, as we talk about our strategy, as we talk about engaging the culture and bringing people in as we have outreach events, that we celebrate that. That we encourage people to come in to our fold, to worship with us, like the, that lost sheep, to come in and worship and be part of the 99 that are here. That's how churches, like the early church in Acts, are so successful. There's joy there. There's hope there. Because everybody understood that we are here because God's mission is for us to exist not our own so my hope and prayer for you is are you celebrating that are we focusing on that do we have the heart of the older brother or do we have the heart of the father that says yeah we want people to come in we want we want to accept those people we want to get them to know who the lord jesus is for their life you know we're going to come and celebrate communion here in a moment and as we prepare our hearts for that, we remember what Christ did on the cross, right? He's the one that died for us. He's the one that paid the penalty for us on the cross so that he does come after us. So I guess one of the questions I had here this morning is, well, I want our church to be celebrating the fact that people are coming in. I also recognize that there are people who hear the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son and say, I feel like one of those three. It was, I think, uh, last week I heard of a gentleman who said I didn't really want to come to the church because I felt like the church would catch fire as soon as I came in. It didn't catch fire. In fact, there was a celebration that happened. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you knew who the Lord was, but you one of those guys that fell through the cracks, one of those women who fell through the cracks because life just got too hard. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like the son who said, you know what, I'm intentionally going out, I'm going to live the life I want to live, but man, this isn't working. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like the sheep who didn't even realize you were wandering away. But you find yourself here this morning. My encouragement for you is, listen, Jesus is standing at the door. His arms are wide open for you. He wants you to come in. He wants to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate the fact that you're here too. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And it's, it's a matter of just repenting, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I want you to forgive me. The, the penalty you pay on the cross was for me. I want to be part of that. I want to be under that blood. I want you to wash me clean. I want to have that relationship with you. Jesus, would you welcome me home? And he's going to look right at you and he says, Welcome home. Your sins are forgiven. And then we come and we celebrate communion together. I want you to be part of that, part of this communion celebration as we do it as a family, as a flock this morning. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Thank you that we can be a, a church about celebrating the lost, about people coming in who may have never known you, haven't known you in a while, have wandered away. Lord, help us to have that right mindset as we go into this. 
Lord, we thank you that we can be a part of a family, that we can be part of a, a church. I pray that some of us are wondering about whether or not we should be members. Help us not be scared about that. Help us to realize it's just part of your plan so we can live life together. Lord, be with that one, two, maybe three people in here who feel like the coin, feel like the sheep, feel like the son who just wandered away, fallen through the cracks, who have lived selfishly. Lord, I pray that you speak to them here this morning. That this day in August is the day that they changed their life, that they came back home. As hard as it is, help them to see you looking right at them. You love them. You love them because you're on the cross, Lord. We thank you for that. And if that's you, it's as simple as praying a prayer. You're not praying it to me. You're not praying it to the people around you. You're praying it to our Lord who loves you, who wants you to come home. You say, Dear Lord Jesus, I am, understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to welcome me home. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, I thank you for that one, maybe two, three people who prayed that this morning. Lord, help them to feel that relationship, feel that love. No punishment, no guilt, just your arms of love around us. Lord, help them to feel that wiped clean, knowing that you're in control, that you love those who've wandered away, who've fallen through the cracks, who have lived selfishly, that you love us so much that you died for us. Thank you. Help us to be a church that celebrates that here this morning and in the days ahead. And I ask all this in your precious name.